is when the uh, gathering will take place for uh, the 20th celebration of Deer Camp. And it's a kickoff, it's a celebration of 20 years of Deer Camp, but also a kickoff and fundraising for new facilities at Ebenezer. Uh, facilities that will include uh, a larger kitchen and cooking space to prep food, and certainly larger areas for men to sleep in. Uh, if, you, if you go up now on most weekends, uh, a handful of people can stay there on site, but uh, most of the guys that go have to drive up for the day, which are alumni. But the, the new building, the new kitchen, new meeting facilities there will offer him an opportunity to reach more men uh, in his silver season of life. Yes. Is that flyer available? It's in an email that I had, and I, and I can share it with you. I think I, I got it in an email this morning just before six. Um, so I, I think it went out to everybody on the email list. I appreciate you saying it. If you're not on the email list, when you come in, when you're checking your name at the door, if you're not signed in, please do sign in and put your email there and it will keep up. It'll allow you to keep up with what's going on and, and, and a way for us to get in touch with you. But uh, I, I did ask Phil to give us the address. This is off of Billy Bell. There it is. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. George, about two miles up. From uh, County Line on Bedell Road, you'd be able to flash your light just past that railroad track heading west. Mm -hmm. Did you get What's that? Telling me? No, nothing. That's just the same thing that's up there. Another block. Another block. Okay, I know it's north of County Line Road. I know it's in the area of the Gun Club. I ain't been out there in a few years, but really, I don't want to go riding around looking for it. I wish somebody just give me an address. I knew I was at the right place instead of being out in that that area of the country. Wondering if I'm at the right place. Yeah, we drove out there and drove in the middle of the gun club. The sign does say motor club. Good. I hadn't been there before. Good. It's an old transmission shop. It used to be a go, go to where the old transmission shop used to be. <laughs> Here's your gun when you go. I had to open our hearts and open our ears with the given message that you have delivered through him to us. Lord, your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning. So uh, today we're going to talk about the man of Jesus. Uh, we're using the frame of a Marine. Uh, Marine being a man that takes charge, uh, is real, has a purpose, has a passion. Um, you know, I, I have to start out with, you know, last night someone broke into my garage, Joe. You know, Hello. yep. They stole my limbo stick. Uh -oh. I mean, how low can you go? How low? Can you go? <laughs> there we go. That's the joke for the day. Let me uh, let me get the slides up here. So this is an image that we're using for the series. Is is what kind of man goes into the temple and says, "Stop stealing from." the people that are poor. Stop it. Stop taking money, changing it, that they have to offer these sacrifices by Moses or by the order of Moses and the law of Moses. Stop taking advantage of them. And he gets so fired up about it, he just he makes a whip and he drives all these people out and said, Don't come back here again. That's like a Marine. That's like a guy that's rescuing people that don't know any better. That don't know any better the, the way money is exchanged. He was like, "Do not do do not do this at all." But do not do this at at my father's house, right? So, before we start, I want to look at some images. Let me share the screen real quick. If you can remember, and I, I tried to go through this exercise. This this image may not make much uh, sense to you, but it's one of the first images of Jesus throughout history as we've looked back and tried to discover that I think this was like the third century or second century of, of a shepherd. Uh, when was the first image that you remember that you recall, or one of the first that you remember of Jesus? What did he look like? What do you remember? What did you think? And I'm going to flash a few of these up on the screen and, and let's, let's, let's go through this and, and look. 
Um, here we go. So there's another one. I probably didn't see that. There's there's Paul and uh, and Peter. There's one of the first images, the Shroud of Turin. One of the most famous paintings ever of Jesus, right? The Last Supper. Another painting. And so started off, there was a lot of paintings. Walking on Water, The Resurrection. These are the images we've seen of Jesus through our life. The Nativity scene. The Sermon on the Mount. The... This is an artist depicting the, the breaking of the, of the bread and feeding, or no, the, the turning the water into wine at the wedding. Right, thank you. Then this is Mary holding, holding Jesus after he was on the cross. This is at the Vatican. Uh, statues of Jesus. One of the most world-famous statues in the world. There. So these images of Jesus have a lasting memory. This is St. Faustina. She's... Divine, the divine mercy, Jesus. This is a vision she had. Then the heart of Jesus. And then we started seeing Jesus in our children's stories, right? And so if you remember maybe some of these books and images of Jesus that you learned about for the first time. We go through all these different children's kind of books. And then, like Ron was saying, you know, you often see this at church. Um, which is one of the purposes of, of this series is, is Jesus is a shepherd. He is also a marine. He is also a man that drives out money changers in the, in the temple. So it's, it's a, this is a two-dimensional picture of Jesus, which is true. And then we see some more images, a peaceful, merciful Jesus in the movies. Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know how accurate that was, but there it is. And then these are the guys that have played Jesus in major movies. Uh, the Passion of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, and then recently The Chosen there on the right. I'll show a video clip from that today. So these are the images we have of Jesus. This is actually a girl that had a near-death experience, died, came back and said, this is what Jesus looked like to me. This is an, an artificial intelligence, an AI rendering of what a man would have looked like around that time. This was the first attempt. This is the last attempt, is what he may have looked like based on that. It's kind of striking, isn't it, just to, to imagine what was it like to look at Jesus and be aware of his presence, right? So, the images of Jesus... Uh, let's start out with, with going through the, um, the introductory paragraph that we always read. If I can get this cursor back on the screen there. All right. So, this is Marine Jesus. Simplify, always faithful. To be a Marine means to a daily commitment to live up to the highest standards. Being Marine means to ever be ever accountable to the warrior ethos, which adheres to the fundamental truths Character counts. Honesty is incorruptible. Integrity means everything. Does that sound about right, Forrest? Hoorah. Hoorah. He's going to teach us how to do that, I guess. I don't, I'm learning how to do that. Uh, I don't know if it's right for a Marine to do not a person who's not a Marine to do that. We need our Christian commitment to more be Marine-like than what our culture has made Christian men to be. Jesus modeled a warrior-like character. When we discover his true character, we under uncover the real Jesus. A true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. This study will help us to be the men God designed us to be, men willing to initiate, take responsibility, and to fight for a cause that is greater than ourselves. This is the book that we'll be using. Uh, it's called uh, Beautiful Outlaw from John Eldridge. A lot of you have heard this, but he starts to introduce this idea of what's the context? What's the personality? This was a man. This is what's so mysterious about God is that, and Jesus is that we've venerated Jesus and we see the images, and yes, uh, it is Jesus is holy and uh, magnificent and, and a miracle worker. He's also a man. 100% man, 100% God. That is a very 
difficult thing to, to grasp sometimes. But John, when he writes his book, he goes into like the context of what was it like. Because as a man, we can relate to that. These stories we've heard before, and we'll go through some today, is what was it like to be a man around that situation? What was it like for Jesus as a man? Uh, it's a different way to look at it, and that's why we're having this series, is really trying to understand the man of Jesus. So, let's play a song. So, so one of the songs that uh, hit me, I was out on a bicycle ride, and um, I just have a random playlist playing on Spotify, and this song came on, and I literally stopped my bike. I was like, wow. This has a spirit of what it's like when Jesus is near. Now, I want you to listen to it and think about that. What is it like when Jesus shows up?
So, God help me. It's much like a Marine. Whether you're in the battle, you're in the corner, all of a sudden, help shows up. The right kind of help. The good help. Jesus, right? What's a story that, uh, that was like that? So Peter, if he gets out of the boat, Peter gets out of the boat, walks towards Jesus, what happens? He's looking at Jesus, walking on water. A man walking toward another man on water. Like, what is happening? The story, right? What happens after he takes a few steps? He takes his eyes off Jesus. Thank you. He, he, he loses his sense of belief. And that's human. That's, we do that. That's us. We are Peter. And he sinks. And what does he say? Help me. Right? Phil says the hardest thing that men be able to come to say is, is I need help. And, and that's when Jesus is near. I tell that story to say in that song, that's what it's like when Jesus is near. It's like I'm afraid. I'm almost excited. I'm a little scared. I'm unsure. Things are moving in a direction that I don't know where they're going. The norm is no longer the norm. The day-to-day -day motions are kind of like my foundation is changing. That's what it was like when Jesus is near. That, that is when the presence of Jesus is around. That's one of the way it feels. It also feels peaceful and merciful. We talked last time about how Jesus was a, a servant leader, but to say that only is not correct. He is not just a servant leader. He is a warrior. He is a man. He is a person that uh, changes things. When he shows up, things change. And it's like, ooh, it's a little scary sometimes. And if you've ever felt that, I know I have. So let's look at this real quick. Some questions that are a little different. Uh, I had a guy ask me this early on several years ago. If you would ask Jesus if the world was flat around, this is getting into the, man, the actual manhood. Where is the line between God and Jesus inside him? What does he know versus what does he doesn't know at a man that's uh, around zero A.D.? What would he have said? He could argue either way, right? He's a man. The earth is, uh, is flat, or, or we don't know about the sun and the moon, and we don't know what we know then. Or maybe he did. So it's that dynamic of like, how, how much did Jesus know about the universe, about the world? We don't know. We don't know. It's a speculation to ask that. And then a mystery, another mystery. What did Jesus do from 13 to 30, or around 12 to 13, after he showed up in the temple, bar, bar mitzvah and all that? Blank pages until he shows up again at 30 to start his public ministry. I think... Um, I think he was mentored by Joseph and other men in the community. I think he grew. I think he worked. He had a job, you know, carpenter probably, right? Learned the family trade. Also with his references to farming and seeds and all that kind of stuff and weeds, he knew about agriculture. He knew about that kind of stuff. Uh, stuff we know about here in Mississippi, stuff a lot of guys know that are in the rural areas of the country, right? We know when he talks about these things, they make sense to us. And then finally, when did Jesus become fully aware of who he was? Um, you know, Mary was the first to know. Uh, the angel said, hey, here's what's about to happen. And even she probably had realization as time went on, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Joseph knew. John the Baptist knew. When he was in Elizabeth's tummy, uh, you know, she, he knew who he was. Uh, John the Baptist knew before anybody, probably, as a man other than Mary and Joseph. They knew who he was. Um, they grew up together. So this is the real story. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus. Uh, around the same family group back then, cousins and brothers were kind of all the same. Everybody grew up together. They're, everybody kind of survived together, I guess is a better way to say it. Uh, John DeBaz was in that group. He knew who Jesus was. He saw him grow up, and he was like, this is, uh, this is different. And one of the interactions that, that, that um, 
really strikes me is John is in, in prison, right? He's about to be killed for telling Herod. You know, Jesus was hid from Herod because Herod was awful. Herod was looking to destroy anything, even his family members that would threaten his power. And of course, Jesus was one of those that were not in his family, but was threatened Herod's power. And he killed everybody that he thought would do that. So out of boldness, John says, you cannot marry that woman. That's a sin. And Herod's like, well, you know, his, you know the story. His wife said, I want his head on a platter. He ends up in jail. And as he's about, his life's about to come to end, some guys come to visit him. He said, uh, go ask Jesus, like, what are you waiting on? Like, well, who says that? You know, he, basically, that's what he says. He said, go, like, are you, are you the one? Because I'm about to die here, and I hope it's worth it. You know, that's kind of the, the context of John the Baptist saying, uh, what's going on? And then Jesus comes back and says, hey, look at all these miracles that have happened and everything. Yes, uh, it, the plan is in place. But anyway, it gets down into the relationships of Jesus. So uh, let's look at the Gospels briefly. Bring that up. Uh, what was written in the in the Gospels. Um, one of the things they wrote often about was things that were very different. This is not normal. This man is different. This man is different. He's also mysterious, but there's something familiar about him. Can't quite put my finger on it. So the miracles started to happen. He's healing people that were suffering, that were uh, told that their family, their fathers have sinned and they were born in sin and they would live and die in sin. Their life was invalid. So Jesus goes to these people and goes, you know what? Uh, you matter. I'm going to heal you. He started healing these people. Tell them that, no, you're not, your life is more than just being labeled as, as sin from, from birth and sin to death. So he... They started asking when they saw these, these miracles, like, like anybody would do, is like, who is this? Who is he more like? Is he more like Moses? Moses did miracles. God did mo miracles through Moses. Jacob, who we learned about. Samuel. Elijah. A lot of people said, man, he's a lot like Elijah. Because that's the reference. Like, I've heard a lot about Elijah my whole life growing up. Maybe this is Elijah coming again. Maybe it is. Maybe it's Daniel. Daniel and Elijah. Or maybe it's Jonah. I mean... Where do all these miracles that we're hearing about, is they really happening? Is he like one of these great men that we've been told about our whole lives through our history, right? So those were the first thing. They started writing about miracles, his teachings and everything. Um, they also wrote about how different he was than the religious leaders. Um, he was compassionate. He ate and drank with sinners. You know, it's something you'd never see a Pharisee or Sadducee do, not ever. Like that was... A big social problem to say, we're going to sit down and eat with these people. He ate with dirty hands. You know, he didn't go through the ritual cleansing. And, you know, everybody watch this. I'm going to, you know, like that's how it was. Like, look at how holy I am because I follow things. He was not like that. He didn't do that. Doesn't mean he wasn't holy. He just didn't follow through the going through the motions like some of the religious leaders did out in public. He didn't pray in public like people did at that time. You know, the word, he talked about, you use all these many, many words and all these things, and you do all these things in public. You give money in public so everybody can see it. He's like, don't do that. And when you pray, go to your inner room. And when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He starts teaching people a new way. Don't be so self-righteous. Don't be so fake. Uh, as, as it happened more than often with the religious leaders of the time. He plucked wheat. He did work on the Sabbath. You know, He healed somebody on the Sabbath, which ultimately led to his, his crucifixion. Like, like that story is so... You talk about bold. Uh, the man with the withered hand, this story, uh, he's sitting there, the Pharisees are watching him, and it's like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And he says, you know, stretch out your hand, it's healed. And they were so mad because, like, they laid down the law of what you can do on the Sabbath. They said, this, the, this is the law. We're in charge of the law. We're like the judge, jury, and, and we're, the, we're the law. 
and you just broke the law mocking us is how they saw it, and they got furious about that. He was bold. He taught in parables and claimed God was more like a father. And so all these different ways, he was different than a religious leader. And then he was different than us. Uh, so when I start saying us, I meant I'm taking the role of, and the next slide we'll look at too is, um, if you look in the uh, context of the disciples, what would they have said about him? They would probably know more than anybody about how he was. He was patient. He knew things that we didn't know that were not taught from all the way we were taught through their version of Sunday school. All this stuff is deeper, more wisdom. He's a better rabbi than any rabbi I've ever heard. All these, guys, all these things, they're like, this guy is not like just any other guy. He's different. He's holy. He's amazing. He's a great teacher, right? So let's look at that. These are the things we may not have heard enough. That This goes into this book, this book, uh, Beautiful Outlaw, really gets into some of these scenarios. And some of it's speculation, right? It's okay to speculate. I don't know. You know, sometimes when we start hearing Bible stories, we're like, that's, that's it. And it is it. It is the truth. And it is what it is. And it's not really open for interpretation, but it's open to wonder. It's open to wonder and imagination. Like, Jesus was joyful. The man, the smile on his face. This is what a disciple would have said, an apostle. Uh, I can still see a smile that would like light up the whole place he was around. Uh, he was funny, you know. I laughed when he was near. He was clever. The way he taught us and the way he captured our attention, I was in awe at the way he spoke to us. He was bold. The way he talked to the Pharisees and corrected them, I don't know if you've ever been, I was in a meeting like this once uh, here years ago. Uh, a vendor was doing, was being uh, not forthright with us. And, and uh, one of the guys at our company really kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with him. <laughs> and it was so intense, I just couldn't even look up from the floor. You know, I was like, woof. That's intense, and that's bold, and you know, and it's something I struggle with, with being that direct. Jesus talked to the Pharisees and Sadducees like that. He's like, guys, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're, you've got to change. You know, you're dirty on the inside. You're clean on the outside. Like, he just goes and goes and goes at them. You know, it's bold. Like, that stuff can get you killed. He was divisive. I mean, in today's culture, like, that's just a, toxic phrase to even think about and I don't mean it in a toxic way but he you know he's like a peacemaker we think of Jesus as a peacemaker and yes he was a peacemaker he is a peacemaker but he also said hey I've, I've come to divide families against each other and when somebody said let me go home and bury my father uh, Jesus knew what he was really saying about that it was just an excuse he was trying to get, get out of everything he said let the dead go bury their dead and I was like what who says that like that's that doesn't sound like the Jesus we hear in Sunday school, you know. So he was very direct, and he 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 knew what was happening at a lower at a level lower than than the surface. But here's the one I love the best, and it's kind of like this song. Is unsettling, like it moves. Your foundation moves when Jesus is near. He's mysterious. Like like this is the best quality I can try to describe to know the real spirit of what it was like being around Jesus, it was like like things moved. It scared me. You know what I mean? Like, what is he going to ask me to do? Where is this going? This is not the normal wake up, brush your teeth, do a little something, go to bed kind of day. This is different. Like, it is your the whole foundation feels different. He didn't know what, they were, what he was going to ask him to do, um, the way he prayed, the way life was present and just what might happen. My brother uh, once said that he was so scared that if he gave Jesus his full yes, you know, when we talk about, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, uh, put, pick up my cross and, and follow you. But he said, if I gave Jesus my full yes, he said, I'd end up in Africa as a missionary. He's like, I don't want to do that. You know, that's that fear of like, what is he, does Jesus really asking us to do? All of us today, tomorrow, next year. That's a that's a quality of, of Jesus. All right. 
So let's watch a video. I want to show you a video clip. Uh, if you've seen The Chosen, uh, this is a, a, a new attempt of a little bit more of the personality of Jesus. What happens in between the stories? Like we hear the stories and like what happened in between day to day? What was his relationship like with other people? This is on YouTube. It's free if you haven't seen it. But um, it goes into that and then it really does a good job. I think what they really do a good job of, of, of taking a story out of the Bible and it's like makes it bigger than life. Like some of these teachings like, whoa, you watch it and like that's that more, I can understand that a little more because it's more real. It's not just two-dimensional, two-dimensional page of paper and two-dimensional pictures of Jesus that, you know, this is three-dimensional. This is, there's, there's depth to this story. There's more context. So let's, let's watch this. I'm preparing something to share with the world. These things will make sense to some but not to others. I'm here to start a revolution. So if you haven't seen that, uh, that's Cho The Chosen again. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a great series. It gets, it gets into who Jesus was uh, as, a, as a man, and it's really good. So let's go and look at a few stories. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left. Um, let's go over a few stories from Matthew. So what would Matthew have said about Jesus? One thing... Uh, you know, you open the book of Matthew and you get all these genealogy things. Like, this is ridiculous. This is, this makes no, why? Like, Joseph begot, Daniel begot, David begot. Like, okay, get to the stories. But what, why Matthew? Matthew? What was Matthew before he was a disciple of Jesus? Tax collector. So what are, what are people in finance good at? Details and numbers, right? 
here's one thing that I didn't realize with, with Matthew. It starts out, it goes 14 plus 14 plus 14 plus blank. So how many sevens is that? Seven, 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 seven. Seven is God revealed early on that seven was a perfect number, right? Not to get in the Bible lesson here, but but Matthew was like, this is this is, and I've got to tell people how relevant this is. Is since Adam, all these generations, this is the seventh of of seventh generation. So you have. This is six sevens, and this is number seven. This is Jesus. This is where he starts telling the story of Jesus in the fulfillment of the seventh of seventh generation. So it's like, okay, that's why he's telling all these lineages of how Jesus comes directly from David, from also from Adam. But he also covered a few stories, and let's go over these real quick. So this is the story of the seeds. And it's a very simple story, but let's look a little deeper into this. All right, let me share the screen real quick. All right, so at about that same time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered around the shoreline, forcing him to get in a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed the congregation, telling his stories. What do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the ground on the on the road, and birds ate it. Some of the seed fell in the gravel, and it sprouted quickly, but it didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. And he asked his followers, are you listening to this? Are you really, really listening to this? And that's a simple story that we've heard today. And the, and the ground is, is the fertileness of our soul to receive the Word of God, right? So sometimes people teach about Jesus and, and God, and then it just falls on, on hard ground and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't grain, gain root. Sometimes it gains a little bit of root, but it's like a flash and then it's gone. And then sometimes it really grows roots and goes deep. And so Jesus is using a simple story. Where did he learn this story? Like, think about this. So the context is, is important. Like, so here we have the, the present, the future, and this is why it's not just a story about Jesus, and it's a story about us as well. So in these stories, you would have the past entering into what he's talking about, and then it would also expand in the future. And then here is our, our present, so we're not in that time, but, and the disciples saw this too. So this is, this is a great frame of reference is to say it's just a simple story and yes it is but it's also taking from things in the past all these different things in the past life of Jesus as he grew up he saw like he literally saw seeds you know and how they were planted and, and when they were planted and things grew and when they didn't and so he saw that and knew about that and even past in, in the Old Testament there's references to this so, so you as a person of that time it, you're an antenna would kind of go off like he's talking about something more than what he's just talking about. And in the present, you know, the present is the word of what he's talking about, what I just explained. You know, it's, it seems like a, the moral of the story is, right? That's the story. And I get it. It's like classroom mode. We go in the classroom, we get the story, and it's like, okay, I get the teaching. Thanks, Jesus. But then <laughs> there's a future to the story, too. So this one little story has a past, a present, and a future. And then, in our lives, even here today, you talk about the living Word of God, there's a present where we're like, today we can see that happening, we can apply that today. We can look back in the past and see that, in our past and see that, and then the future. So all this points toward uh, simple stories have much, much more context. And that's why, you know, it's something I could never cover here in a day, a week, a year. Ten years from now, the story has more context, more depth than it did before.
And so that's a way to take some of these simple stories and you start getting other men's perspective, you know, and saying, what did you see? What did you hear? And they're like, well, I saw this, you know, and it's also a way we tell our story. Like, think about what would it have been like to have Matthew sit at the fire, you know, at deer camp. Like, time would stand still if he started telling the story, you know. It's kind of like, what? You know, you were like stealing from people as a tax collector, like obsessed with money. You were taught how to be a good guy, all these good things from your faith, and you abandoned that, and you were just overcome by greed. And and then Jesus shows up and what? You write the first chapter of the gospel? What? And then you start talking about Jesus, and you're like, you know, like, Wow. That's his story. That's God's story. And that's like our story. We have a story. I mean, we have a story. When you, when you sit around the fire and you tell your story in the same context with your past, your present, and your future, it's like time stands still, you know? And it's like Jesus is all through that. And like we're seeing it. And you have other men. That's the beauty of having other eyes and ears is they can see and hear things you can't. Like, I can tell a story, and then somebody come up to me and say, Jeff, I saw this and heard this. I was like, that's a perspective I never would have heard if you had not told me that, right? And so these stories are three-dimensional. Now the next one, he says, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is like a farmer. This sounds a lot like Mississippi, right? We can get this story. I get it. I didn't plant much, but I understand the concept. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, the enemy sowed thistles all throughout the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? He answered, some enemy did this. The farmer asked, should we weed out the thistles? He said, no. If you weed out the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles of fire. And then we'll gather the wheat and put it into the barn. So this is a, this is a reference to our souls, our hearts. We have good and evil inside us. And, Jesus, and, some, and sometimes we in prayer, we say, God, just take all that away. Just like snap your fingers and take away all that. I know I prayed that when I was a teenager. Like, please, please. I want, I want and God is like, you're going to, it's like the two dogs, you know, you, you ask uh, the old Indian man, which, which are the two wolves? The, the, the wolves win, the good and the bad wolf. And he said, whichever one you feed more when they fight. That fight is talking. So this story has a deeper context, right? You get it? So we've got a, a few minutes and I'll wrap up here. Um, one, of the, one of the things Phil asked me to do was share a letter I wrote to my father. So Jesus invites us to go into the deep waters. And, and that's a reference of speaking in, speaking as a man, as a Marine, as a follower of Jesus, at certain times you're like a prophet and you're asked to speak the Word of God and the Word of life. And this was one of the hardest things to do for me. Uh, and I don't know that I got it right. But this is a letter I wrote to my dad last year for Father's Day. I mean, I won't read it entirely. But I said, um, Dad, I've been blessed. I've been blessed by the hand of God and the good fortune to have you as my father. I'm trying to honor my father. And I'll, the context, you'll understand why I'm doing this. It's good to do on any Father's Day, but particularly this one. I say he's put me in a wonderful position to love others and to make a difference in this world. So I thank the hand of God and the good fortune that you're my father. And I go into different stories about, you know, he was he he uh took us to the YMCA Indian guides. You probably never heard of that, but it was just kind of like a Boy Scout for YMCA and they use the framework of Indian, you know, putting arrows in the ground to find your way out of a trail. Just fun stuff, you know. Um, I remember a bonfire he made, you know, <laughs> he did a little magic thing where, uh, and I have this visual memory and he lit a cotton ball with, uh, or soaked a cotton ball with al alcohol and then it 
lit on fire and when it was dark it looked like a spark was coming from out of the sky and it lit up a big bonfire boom like i remember that and all that to say i said um people ask me like why do i help out around the church and youth particularly and uh throughout my life my wife and i have uh for 20 plus years and i said well that's because my dad there's a story once where uh, hmm, sorry there's a story once where i was sneaking out of the house and as a teenager we decided to go sneak out of the house and do stupid stuff and then come back home while he was waiting for me in my bed and i crawled in the window and we had a big laugh you know and uh he I, I, I didn't <laughs> but he loves to tell that story like i caught you you know and and you know it's a great story to, to look back on and say so it's easy me, i told him i said it's easy me look um back and see all this and i said you know there's only been a few times where i was scared for my safety i felt my security of our family was in jeopardy and i told him those three times one was his fault the other was his brother's fault and the other one was um recently and i said that's all, that's pretty good that's pretty good as a father I only have those three times but i need to talk about that um i never once uh heard my father say something verbally abusive to me not one time you know i never wondered if my home was a safe place um i never saw my father drink too much growing up i never saw him do words of hate to anybody i never once saw my father be greedy and selfish so i was honoring this to lead up to this point um dad had been drinking um throughout the uh the pandemic and just uh my brother had passed away a couple of years ago um and you know whatever that leads to one drink leads to another and they had gotten to the point where my mom asked us my sister and i to talk to him and we talked to him and um he was very embarrassed and as i would anybody would have been and didn't really go anywhere and it kind of continued um and so to phil's advice and thinking about it, i said i'll write him a letter i wrote him this letter um and i told him you know this is some of the things i've learned from men's roundtable from from uh, deer camp i said um men cope with anxiety and fear and depression in different ways uh, sometimes small and not so small um i realized when i first smoked a pipe why my grandfather smoked a pipe because it calms you down drinking calms you down it can become a habit um i remember in college making a rule to myself that i only have a drink on the weekends right because i've seen alcoholism on my both sides of my family and i've had that talk with my kids recently but i said um i'm learning uh still learning um and we didn't really learn from men that were before us on how to uh how to talk and deal with these things right and so i'm doing the best i can to share with you like there's ways to deal with this and to wrap it up i just said um my mom feels anxiety and she you're scaring her um and i know that that my mom lost her mother and father when she was growing up and the fear of losing my my father her husband scares her in a way that's very unsettling that's why she did the unprecedented thing to ask me and my sister to talk to him and so i took this letter and just wrote a lot of love into him uh and just poured my heart out to him and told him what a good father he was and i ended it with saying you're my father and the only one i'll ever have i thank god for you and i hope that i'm able to give you a hundred more father's day letters but I know I won't have that many more chances. So, uh, sorry. Learning how to live out of the parts of my heart that, that we numb and go away from and avoid. And, and like a Marine, that's the best way I can say it is like go to those places, speak life into those places, even to my father, which, you know, is a weird dynamic because that's my father's supposed to maybe do that to me. But I share that to say uh, that's what following Jesus is like. And I'm not very good at what I just did, and I hope I get better at that, you know. Uh, Phil talks about his father, didn't know what to say, didn't know how to talk. And I say, you know, Phil talks like 
way our fathers should have taught us. If they knew, if they knew, if they knew what Phil's know about counseling and Jesus and all this great stuff, they would have, but they didn't. You know? And so sometimes it's a different role to where as a son, you pass that on. Sometimes it downstream to your family. But that is that is a very bold marine-like quality of a man. It is real. And that's what Jesus was like. Uh, and so I encourage us all, encourage myself to continually embrace that. One of my growth areas is is to speak into those and not just avoid it. It's hard. It's hard when it's your family. So I sit down and have that conversation. So I couldn't sit down and have the conversation. I had to write a letter. Jeff needs to write letters at certain times when you speak into those moments. So with that, I want to close in prayer. I've, I've got um, the address before we wrap up for the murder club. If anybody wants to write it down, if you want to come up afterward, I'll just write it down real quick before we close. It's 1999. So the GPS that uh, Joe was asking for, Billy, Bell, Road, is that right? Road. So put that in your GPS. And when it is 921 at what time? 6? 6? 630. I don't know if you can read that, but there you go. That's, that's what we're talking about. Creating a bigger place for more men to come and learn and, and all the new things that, that, that go on at, at that place. So with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the man that we can understand, but is also mysterious, Jesus. Help us to learn more and to understand what it means to follow, to lead, to grow, to heal, and to love. Love like Jesus with boldness. I ask that you stay with us today, stay with us tomorrow. Keep teaching us. Have patience with us. We ask this in your Lord's name, your Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right.